This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mamaliti. We were still doing family style meals, which the thought of even doing a family style public event, like sharing a platter of food with strangers, like that's just not going to happen. It escalated really, really quickly. And and I did not know what to do because there's no there's no playbook for small business owner in a pandemic. And I think I had about four or five false starts when everything was unfolding. And the first time in 10 years, the problem was way bigger than me. Everything is changing now. And I think we all need to be really prepared for it not to go back to the way we remember it. That's Matt Basile, chef, restaurateur, entrepreneur, TV host, and two-time cookbook author. He's the founder of Fidel Gastro's Food Truck and Catering. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, we're going to get right into it. And I don't know if you remember this, but back in 2018, I did a quick interview with you at the Mac and Cheese Festival. I think it was like... It was in Milton, right? It was in, yeah, Milton. It was in Milton. Yeah, I think I was yes. actually eating a mother clucker while we talked. <laughs> As one does. (laughs) Right? So that was episode eight. We are now on 83. I was just starting off and really green at this. So I wanted to kind of revisit, talk about everything that's been going on and how things have changed in the food industry for you. Well, I mean, so much has happened since 2018. Like, it seems like a unicorn land. (laughs) Right? Uh, So where do we even begin? I mean, um, I think... I still had my restaurant at the time. Yes. So I sold my restaurant uh, at Queen and Bathurst, Lisa Marie, um, back in April of 2019, pretty much six years to the day that we opened it. And, you know, for me, it was, it's, it still is very much bittersweet um, in that I knew from a business standpoint that the time had come to move on from the restaurant. Like it just, it stopped making uh, financial sense. Mm-hmm. Things were just getting more and more expensive, but it's not like we were making that much more to justify it. So like the numbers were just there and it just didn't make sense to uh, run the restaurant anymore. But emotionally, I still uh, get a little choked up when people message me telling me how much uh, our spot meant to them, yeah. uh, either just to the community or because they had a, a special brunch there. I wasn't prepared for it. I'll tell you that COVID aside, it ended up being just the right decision for me personally. Like I, it was, it, it freed up a little bit more of my time. So that way I could focus on other projects. And that's really the key word. Like I, everything going forward from there, I wanted to uh, approach as more of a project. So now our, our, our catering kitchen is in Etobicoke um, and our, our, so our food truck operates uh, out of that catering kitchen as well. But if you had told me in April of 2019 that, uh, you know, 11 months later, we were going to be, and by we, I mean the world, mm-hmm. was going to be faced with a, uh, a health crisis and pandemic that would ultimately shatter people's lives and livelihoods and so many different industries, the hospitality industry being one of the harder hit industries. Hardest hit. I mean, in my opinion, it's just, it's, it's one of the hardest hit. Even think of all the the secondary and tertiary businesses that fall under hospitality. So like DJs yeah. uh, and, yeah. and floral designers 
and people that rent you napkins and the like the linen companies, the, the cleaning companies that come into to clean restaurants and venues. Like the only other industry that I can think of that's been hit, you know, equally as hard is probably the event business as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the two are cousins, really. So I, I think if you had told me like 11 months later after selling the restaurant, uh, the world would turn upside down. And then 14 months after that, we'd still be kind of dealing with the same shit. I would have been like, you're, you're crazy, but okay, cool. So it, it's just, it's taken, and, and this word has been used uh, too many times now, but the pivoting, if you want to call it that, um, it's like that redirection of energy and how can you, you know, trying your best to work within the, the parameters of what is safe and what is responsible and what is like, what's actual, what can you even do right now? So, um, when, when everything happened back in March of 2020, Mm -hmm. I remember it like very vividly. It was a Tuesday, Wednesday, and a Thursday. So it's the week before the lockdowns. The Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of that week, we were doing a three-night gala um, for Casey House, which is a HIV-specific uh, hospital here in Toronto. We, we do this event every year with them. And there was never a question of canceling the event because of COVID. But we were like, you know, we should take some safety protocols. So, for example, if you have any flu-like symptoms, please, you know, give your ticket to someone else. Um, sanitizer is at all state, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it it just, we were still doing family style meals, which the thought of even doing a family style public event, like sharing a platter of food with strangers, like that's just not going to happen. So it's non-existent. You know what I mean? So this is how like we weren't prepared for what was about to come. So this is the Thursday is the last day of that event. Um, we, then we had a catering booked the Friday, the Saturday and the Sunday. And then after that, we had like a few days off um, to just kind of reset. And then we had a, a, a pretty decently busy week the week after. By the Monday, that's when things started to really like rumble and get, get kind of dicey. Some restaurants were already starting to make the decision to, to shut down now. I remember that morning, so it was like 9 a.m. My girlfriend looks at me, she goes, Hey, this COVID thing is really starting to escalate. Um, have you lost any business yet as a result of it? And I was like, no, like so far, all of our clients have been awesome. We haven't lost anything. Like we're good to go. Uh, yeah, it's full steam ahead over here. By 4 p.m. that day, we had lost all of our events for the, the rest of the year that we had already kind of locked in. Weddings, got other galas that we were lined up for. Uh, and then by Thursday, we were completely shut down. So it escalated really, really quickly. And, and I did not know what to do because there's no, there's no playbook for a small business owner in a pandemic. And I think I had about four or five different false starts when everything was unfolding. So I was like, okay, well, we'll do, we'll do delivery and then i was like ah but then what if like drivers have covid and don't know it and they're coming into our space and then i was like okay we'll do pickup then i'm like well what if people come into our space and have COVID? like Mm -hmm. we just did not know like the risk and the like i was just i was i was very stressed out it was for the first time in 10 years i'd like to consider myself a pretty decent problem solver um in the first time in 10 years the problem was way bigger than me. Uh, and I couldn't uh, really rationalize 
how I was going to tackle it, you know? So we just stopped operating for like two months. God, what was that like? It was weird. It was really weird. In 10 years of running my own company, um, I've never taken off more than a week of work, let alone two months of work, but let alone doing being forced on me. We're going to circle back to this in a minute, but let's take a quick break for a little rapid fight. <laughs> Are you up for it? Yeah, let's shoot. Tell us one thing most people don't know about you. I uh, am very afraid of squirrels. <laughs> I don't trust them. I really do not trust squirrels at all. Sneaky little guys. Name or sing a song that always puts you in a good mood. Oh, man. You're breaking my heart. I don't even know why. Think about it. It's about a, someone's heart being broken, but it's, it's a catchy tune. Okay. Yeah. Simon and Garfunkel. That's it. Would you rather go camping, hiking, boating, or dancing? Ooh, I love to dance. I love to dance on boats. So <laughs> let's do that. Let's combine that. Okay. I like to dance on boats. Favorite ingredient to cook with? Um, fresh lemon. I think uh, people really underestimate the, the power and value of, of fresh citrus. Favorite curse word to use in the kitchen? Fuck. <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> Saw that one coming. You have time to yourself. No interruptions. What do you do? Ooh. Honestly, I just love walking my dog and grabbing a coffee. So what did you end up doing during the shutdown? You know, I, I was trying to keep busy in those two months. I, I scored a like a menu consulting job for a company, so I did a little bit of work there, mm -hmm. and then I was doing a lot of um, a lot of free media and paid media, and a lot of just video content, just because I was like, I need to stay busy, or else I am going to lose my mind. So yeah. my girlfriend makes fun of me, but she was like, I had a pretty hectic uh, Instagram live schedule. I was doing like three or four lives a day, whether it was on my channel or on other people's channels, mm -hmm. like. It was just something that I, I, I wanted to do a lot of just to like make myself uh, available. You know, and we, we got a couple inquiries here and there like, hey, can you make some meals and drop them off at uh, some frontline workers for us? We'll pay for it. I was like, oh, you know, like previous clients that we had had, um, you know, and then I'm, I'm, I'm worried that, you know, we're a small business. And if every wedding that we had booked that summer was like, hey, we need our non-refundable deposit back. Uh, you know, that would have, that would have really, you know, sunk us. So I, I literally, when, when those inquiries started, I just got on the phone with every single couple and I was like, listen, like we can't do that, but we can do this. You know, we'll, we'll honor it for the, the next year. You get first right to the, and everyone was, was really accommodating. I didn't even think of that. Oh yeah. There's all these things, right? Like it's one thing if like you go to like Canadian tire and being like, Hey, I'm not going to buy that patio set anymore. But like with a small business, like, like that can, that can be catastrophic. Everything is changing now. And I think we all need to be really prepared for it not to go back to the way we remember it for a while, if not ever. <laughs> As a small business owner, how do you feel the government has handled things? I think there's been a really poor management or rather mismanagement from all, all levels of government. The longer this has gone, the more I've seen like just a lot of, you know, honestly, inconsistencies. Fine. If we're shutting down you know, small business, why are we keeping Costco open? You're giving people ammunition to kind of have some backlash and resentment and start to question everything, you know? One of the biggest issues that I even have, and this was just back in April, was they're opening up 
patios uh, in like Orangeville, for example, but not in Toronto. And that makes sense. It's a population thing. Yeah. You know, you test it in smaller markets and you grow it out gradually. So we had a few nice weekends back to back in early April. So like the city of Toronto was like, okay, everyone can open up their patios at, I think it was like 25% capacity. It might've even been 50%, but I think it was 25%. First off, the city gave uh, a restaurant owner, and I'm not even a restaurant owner, but it obviously really bothered me. They gave them 18 hours notice um, to open, which is absolutely ridiculous for so many reasons. One, if, if we're worried about public health, like you can't even implement the resources properly to ensure that everyone's health and safety is first and foremost. Guests, employees, the owners themselves, everybody, everybody. So that's the first problem. The second problem is, wait, you think we just have staff on payroll just waiting to start? As soon as you click, snap your fingers, no, so you got you to gotta hire people. You have to train people. And guess what? A lot of uh, hospitality workers didn't want to go back to work because if there was another shutdown, mm-hmm. which there was, you would have to then come off of whatever sort of unemployment you were on to then go just try, have to reapply again two weeks later. So they jumped the gun on that. They, you know, they allowed patios to open, fine. But then two weeks later, shut them down again. It's like, do you not realize the cost to start and stop like that? And I think Restaurants Canada did an analysis that it cost independent restaurant owners about $130 million across the country in that two-week period to open and then close again. And then when they closed, they gave even less time. You know, so it's like, I, I, I try and buy all my wine from like local restaurants in the mm-hmm, neighborhood because mm-hmm. I'm just out. I'm in between Dundas and Queen and college there, that area. So there's a lot of great restaurants that, that are selling some amazing wine. And like, so I went to one of my favorite spots, Noche on, on Queen near uh, Trinity Bellwoods there. Yeah. And, um, you know, and she's almost in tears because she's like, I just brought in all this wine. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, uh, like, fuck, send the bill to to Dougie, like <laughs> Michael Hunter did. I know. Yeah, he, he did for for tap kegs. I yeah. thought that was hilarious. You know, we're laughing, but it's true. It is. He did do it. Yeah, he sent the bill. Yeah, it was for four hundred and something dollars. Yeah. It's the principal, right? Exactly. You know, and he knows he's never going to see that money. And if he does, good for him, man. I would I would buy Bitcoin with all of it. Yeah. But um, it's just a way. It's for people to see that this is the impact that they're having yeah. with these uncertainties, with these decisions that they're making, split second decisions on people's lives it's their livelihood totally right and i think you, you nailed the word right like it's what is the impact of the, of our decisions and i think that is wherever whatever your your stance on the matter is i i just think we have to understand like what is the impact of our decisions how does it impact not only you but like the people that are closest to you the people that you've never even met before like there are decisions being made that are genuinely impacting everyone and i don't have the answers uh and i don't think a lot of people do but i think we need to come to a a collective understanding of maybe we need to bring in people from different experiences to weigh in on this so we have a better idea of the, the the greater impact I'm Mary Mamalini, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Chef Matt Basile, founder of Fidel Gastro's Food Truck and Catering. So we're going to talk a little bit about it. I want to take you back to Little Matt. Little Matt? I'm still pretty little. I'm only 5'4", <laughs> so you mean younger Matt. Ah, younger yes, younger Matt. Matt. How did you get started in the kitchen? 
Uh, well, I mean, I'm a, I'm an only Italian child, uh, Italian Canadian. Uh, and I think having that, that heritage, it doesn't make you, uh, necessarily a better cook, but there's definitely an appreciation for food that I grew up with that. I just know that a lot of, of my, of my friends, my circle of friends growing up did not have that same understanding of food. I was just taught at a very young age, specifically by my Italian grandparents, my nonno and nonna, uh, how much food mattered. My nonno, who, you know, he's pretty much my my everything. He passed away the year right before we, we opened the restaurant, like a few months before we opened the restaurant. He taught me that food was almost your currency. And it didn't matter, like, you know, money in the bank is one thing, but like food on the table is another thing mm-hmm. altogether. Being able to bring your family together and feed them is an accomplishment in and in itself. And you know, you have you have to take into consideration the world that they came from, right? The wartime Italy and uh, being establishing themselves as a new immigrant in Canada or new immigrants in Canada with not much of anything other than you know a family to support, no language, no money, nothing, right? So it was just, um, yeah, appreciation for food was just always put in into the back of my mind. And I'll be honest. I was a super picky eater as a child. Like I was such a picky eater as a kid, you know, and and my mom tells these stories now because it's actually in retrospect, really funny, but like, she'll tell stories how when I was like three or four, like I loved shrimp, but I hated breaded shrimp. I only like grilled shrimp. So we were at a restaurant uh, with friends of my mom's. I think it was like the moment pick in Yorkville, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I I know that's not there anymore, but when there was one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it. uh, You know, I, I ordered... The shrimp dish, and I said that I didn't want it breaded and fried. I wanted it grilled, and they brought it out breaded and fried. And my mom says I sat there, looking at the plate, grumpy. And then when the the wait the waiter or waitress finally came up to me, the, the server came up to me and was like, "Is everything okay?" I was like, "Fire the chef!" <laughs> I was like, "This is not what I asked for." So my mom still talks about this. She's like, "You know, you you've been a, a tyrant in the kitchen since you were three. <laughs> You know, and then, but when I was uh, 12 or 13, I went to this away camp. It was actually Bible camp, believe it or not. And we weren't even that religious, mm-hmm. but I went to this Bible camp, this very Catholic camp. And it was not a great experience. It was just, it was very intense and very strict, but I went back four years in a row because they had like seven or eight nonnies in the back in the kitchen, making the food at this camp. And the food was incredible so oh my God, i love this story i swear so i we, i went i went to this camp for the food so <laughs> i think i went three years in a row um and what's so funny is but the first year i came back i remember it was just like two weeks so it's like you come i came back and my parents could not believe <laughs> my appetite <laughs> and how much it had changed and i was just eating everything you know <laughs> so all that storytelling you know aside um you know, then I was 14 and I started working in butcher shops and grocery stores. And I, I just have always been around food. Uh, you know, when I was in university, I, I was the only one of my roommates that actually cooked meals. I remember even showing them how to cook meals. What's the first thing you cooked? You remember cooking? What do you mean? Myself? Yes. Oh, geez, probably a quesadilla. I'm not going to lie. Okay. It's like, ooh, you put a little cheese in this <laughs> thing and it'll melt. Like Anything you know, with and melted cheese. Yeah, like, you know, and, and I do remember always being at the barbecue, even like at 14, uh, you know, 13, 14, like just remember being like obsessed with 
um, you know, grilled steaks over, over the barbecue. And now I barbecue 12 months out of the year, unless it's an absolute disaster of a snowstorm. It doesn't even like, I, I'm unfazed by it now, but you know, I think there is something to be said about being able to cook outdoors, just the, the, the whole experience of what it means, like how that matters, you know, my, my way into food as a business, um, not, not conventional by any means, but it was something I just always really loved. Um, I was working in advertising and I decided that, uh, you know, at 25 that I wanted to be an entrepreneur by the time I was 30. So that was my goal that I'd given myself. And by 20, I think it was 26, maybe 27 when I started my, you know, did my first pop-up and it just started growing from there. So if you had to describe your cooking style, how would you describe it? Well, um, I always tell people I cook fun food. I, I try and, uh, I try and let the, uh, you know, I try and have fun no matter what it is I'm cooking. It's, it's interesting because sometimes I'm a super simple cook and it's just about like having two or three ingredients really shine. Other times I, I, I try and, you know, get a little, little, uh, little, you know, industrial with how I put combinations together because I think there's a lot of fun in that as well. Um, but I, I really just try not to take myself too seriously first and foremost. Now I would say I, I really do gravitate towards live fire and out, outdoor cooking. But really, it's just all about making fun food. Like that that's really my my mission. Well, a perfect example of that would be your famous pad thai fries. Yes. Would you say that's sort of your signature dish? I mean, honestly, it's uh it's one of those things where I when I made it, I never realized that would be my my uh, <laughs> signature item uh, at all. It's it was literally I, I'll never forget it. We were um launching our food truck on my show Rebel Without a Kitchen. And we were just selling sandwiches off the truck. And someone was like, you know, you should probably come out with a couple side dishes, right? Like that's pretty, I'm like, oh, that's a really good point. Like, so I was doing like a vinegar coleslaw. Um, and then I was like, oh, we can do a fry dish. And I remember just like making this like four ingredient sauce. And then I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to top it with this stuff. And I think it's going to work. And I never even tried it before actually uh, making it for the the first truck service but i remember people coming back to me like the production team they were like did you try those fries and i was like no why they're like they're amazing uh and yeah highly addictive like so you know i guess kind of like our brunch we just kind of slowly uh developed a call it a cult following if you want for Mm -hmm. this uh this fry it's true and then i remember after a few months of doing it um Toronto Life did an article on like fry dishes and they were like, why I did it at the time, like everyone was doing their version of a poutine. And I was like, well, everyone's doing poutine. So I'm going to invent something. (laughs) And, you know, I don't want to come up with the 997,000th version of this. I want to come up with the the first version of that. And that's kind of where Pad Thai Fries came from. Time to play a little round of this or that. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. Morning person or night owl? I used to be a night owl, but now I'm definitely a morning person. With fries, ketchup or mayo? Oh, ketchup. Okay, fries or onion rings? Oh, fries. Who picks onion rings? Right. <laughs> Grilled cheese or mac and cheese? Grilled cheese. Cake or ice cream? Uh, ice cream cake. <laughs> <laughs> Pickles or cucumbers? Pickles. Pizza or pasta? <sighs> Honestly, pizza. I would be a, I'd be a liar if I didn't say pizza. Give up sugar or give up salt? Oh, man. I mean, I would probably give up sugar. Oh, I would so go the salt route. 
No, because like it's in everything I cook with, right? Like it really is the foundation for flavor mm-hmm. and, sa- and savories. Last one, coffee or tea? Coffee always. I I, I am a, not a tea drinker at all, even a little bit. The only thing, I, my only connection to tea is chamomile when I'm not, you know, feeling, when I'm not well. feeling well. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, it's, uh, I, I really do need a coffee to start my day off. It's just, people are like, oh, it's not good for you. I'm like, listen, I don't like, I don't have many vices. Like, let me have my fucking coffee. Like, get out of here. What's your kitchen confession? Yeah. So I've had a few. Um, one of my most severe injuries, and now it, to this day, whenever I see uh, members of my team doing it, I, I get like shivers down my spine. But uh, it was probably in the first few months that I w- had started this company. I had almost lost one of my fingers to a deli slicer mishap. And uh, it was it was absolutely devastating. The finger was hanging on by dear oh thread. Oh, my God. Uh, somehow, <laughs> it's still here. I still have my finger. It's just, uh, and it works fine. And so they put it back to, you know, they put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Um, but, uh, and it happened while cleaning the deli slicer. So Good God. Yeah, just always be careful with those fucking things. Like they just, you know, if you ever get into a fight with a deli slicer, know you're going to lose. Uh, <laughs> the deli slicer will win. I just got chills. Yeah, yeah, it's gross. It was bad. Saying the story out loud is just embarrassing now. It happened while I was like putting a sandwich drop-off together for a company. And it was like one of the first times I'd ever done this. So... I remember the, the sandwiches were built and everything was ready to go. And I was literally just uh, going to clean up the slicer and then pack up the car and drive down there. And then the incident happened. So I, I took a whole towel and wrapped it around my finger and then duct tape it around my finger. Then I took a plastic bag and put it over my whole hand and then duct taped the bag. Oh, my God. And then I delivered the sandwiches. No, you didn't. <laughs> Yeah, I delivered the sandwiches with this fucking duct tape towel bag on my hand. Oh my god! And the adrenaline started to wear off, started, and then I like I stayed for a beer because they were like, "Oh, I stayed for a beer." And I had this like, <laughs> fucking towel on my hand, and I was just like, "Oh man!" So then I went home, and then I went to a walk-in clinic instead of the hospital. I went to a walk-in clinic <laughs> oh my first, god. waited an hour and a half there, and they were like, "What are you doing? Go to the hospital." So by the time I got to see someone to give me stitches, oh my god, it had been like six, seven hours. Um, oh my god! And they were like, "What are you doing?" Why? I was like, "What are you gonna do?" I guess I got to deliver the sandwich. No way! So, yeah, it was stupid, really stupid. In, in hindsight, in retrospect, I could have just put the sandwiches in a cab and gone right <laughs> to the hospital. Then I just walked in the walk-in clinic and and literally, so we like undo the bag. We unravel this entire towel and it's just blood soaked. Like, yeah, mm-mm. just not good. So, <sighs> true story. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for joining us. Th- honestly, this was so much fun. I had such a great time. Well, that's amazing. Thank you. If listeners want to reach out for more info from you, where can they find you? Well, the best thing to do is uh, just follow me on Instagram at Chef Matt Basile, B A S I L E. Um, and yes, yeah, I mean, out there. It's that time we've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchenconfession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening.
This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.